Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Dr. Russell Jaffe. He is fellow at the Health Studies Collegium Foundation. And we're going to talk a little bit about the endocannabinoid system and kind of understanding, like, what do we really know? What do we not know? What's kind of the history of it? And and where are we today? And and how does it really affect, I think, the industry? Uh, Because I think a lot of us in the cannabis space, you know, are trying to develop products. We're trying to build businesses around, you know, helping people at various levels, various types of conditions and ailments. And and it's, I think, part of it is just that what we know about the endocannabinoid system is kind of hindering us, or at least, you know, it does affect our ability to kind of develop these products and, and services and we're really kind of understanding how cannabis works in the human body. And so I'm excited to kind of talk to Dr. Jaffe about some of these things, kind of understand what do we know and what do we not know and, and maybe what do we need to find out and, and what's the progress on 
some of that research because I think that's really going to help us as an industry. It's going to help us, you know, make sure that we're developing products and, and developing services around this that are going to be helpful for people and society. So with that, Dr. Jaffe, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Before we kind of get into the endocannabinoid system, why don't we learn a little bit more about you and your background? Tell us a little bit about just professional background, how cannabis kind of came to play for you and, you know, what the story was. Well, my background has nothing to do with cannabis. My background includes uh, internal medicine and biochemistry with a PhD from Boston University. Then I did uh, internal medicine at University Hospital. Uh, Then I was on the staff at the National Institutes of Health, known as the NIH, for a number of years, including their permanent senior staff. But I was in the clinical center where we developed new lab tests to be more sensitive, more specific, more predictive, more personal about care. Mm -hmm. And now for the last, well, I left NIH around 1980 because of a, yes, I'd say because of a Cambodian Buddhist monk named Bhante Dharmawara that most people have never heard of. Oh, yeah. But the people who did know him and interact with him found him to be quite remarkable. So that, for example, included the Sihanouk family of Cambodia, the royal family of Thailand, the Nehru family of India, the Dalai Lama. And by the way, when I first saw the two of them together was on Capitol Hill. And His Holiness put his forehead on Bhante's toes as a sign of reverence. Then they talked briefly in Pali. Then His Holiness went to the receiving line where there were senators and congressmen all lined up. And I was standing next to Monty with a local public advocacy lawyer named Jim Turner. And I said, Monty, why did His Holiness do that? And he smiled and he said, well, he is permitted to do that. I said, what? He said, (laughs) yes, you understand. He just said it. I responded quite Uh spontaneously. What? Then I said, should I do that? And he immediately said very quietly, do you want to? If it's, if it's pro forma, you can keep it. <laughs> uh, yeah. But if it's a sign of respect and reverence, yes. So I did, for a few years, consult. I got the island of Oahu, Oahu free of heptachlor. I did the first indoor environmental quality report for the state of California, under the first Jerry Brown administration. I did his health Mm -hmm. policy during his runs for president. I've been quite involved indirectly, but not directly, with legislation, including the legislation in California that Mark Leno and others authored and advocated for in the 1970s, which became the model for medical cannabis use. Mm -hmm. And as I said, my training has nothing to do with cannabis. I have a personal interest as an American, as a physician, as a scientist, to learn from others about these cannabinoid receptors that happen to be the most prominent receptor in your brain, my brain, your central brain, your gut brain. Turns out we have at least two brains that Mm -hmm. communicate through what's called the vagus highway that's neurochemically communicate. Okay. Um, and there are more cannabinoid receptors in the brain than anything else. And you can saturate those in a variety of ways, including laughter, including gratitude, including eating correctly, eating what you can digest, assimilate, and eliminate without riling up your immune neurohormonal system. And what I learned through Lester Grinspoon at Harvard, what I lear- learned through Todd McCorea, who wrote the Marijuana Papers, a compendium of several hundred years 
of scientific literature, mostly observational, but I found educational, informational. There is a University of California, Berkeley, more academic text on cannabinoids, including what's called the entourage effect that Misholem, I think, pioneered the term some time ago, maybe the late 80s or early 90s. Mm-hmm. There is very active research going on in Israel and Europe. There's very active research going on here. But in regard to what you can say, either as a professional or as someone who is, say, just guiding people, in regard to what the Food and Drug Administration, known as the FDA, considers a claim, you can't make them. Yeah. There is only one approved use. It's for epilepsy in children. Mm-hmm. And, and so it is the first approved cannabinoid that has a prescription authority. You cannot use it off-label. The FDA has been very clear you cannot use it off-label. Mm-hmm. And it's not inexpensive. However, it does really seem to help certain children with certain kinds of epilepsy, which is an electrical storm in the brain. And I think these are some of the better examples. But there are children who are having hundreds of these electrical storms a week who barely have them now as long as they get the medicine, the cannabinoid. But that's the only approved drug use. And the Food and Drug Administration is very clear that if they have not approved an indication, then you cannot claim that something works. In fact, what you have to talk about are called structure function relationships you know, if if your cannabinoid receptors are completely unsaturated, you're going to have a grumpy day. If they're a hundred percent saturated, you and the couch, or the or the couch, or the sorry, or the mattress are going to yeah. find each other. Yeah. But if they're thirty, forty, fifty percent saturated, you could be having an excellent day. So I do need to be clear, as a physician who still is licensed in a couple of important, uh, to me, important jurisdictions, I am not saying that you can make a claim other than what the FDA says, and what they say is what they say. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess give us a little... Yeah, we've talked a little bit about the history of this on the podcast, but you know, mm-hmm. what, what do we know? I mean, I, my understanding is we really didn't know much or anything about the endocannabinoid system until the seventies, late sixties, early seventies, something like that. I mean, how did well? How good did that question. <laughs> well, how did that happen? Um, the sixties happened. <laughs> if you start with Todd McCarea's what I would call history, collective history of scientific writings. Mm-hmm. Well, now you go back to the. 18th century. And you find in the first pharmacopoeia of the United States, God, when was that? Would have been roughly, let me say 1815, that would be close. You know, it was, I I think it was after the War of 1812. I think it was before some of the other later crises. Uh But in the original pharmacopoeia, a tincture of what we would call a tincture of hash was included. And it actually stayed in the United States Pharmacopeia until 1967, despite what happened in the 1930s through whoever it was that, you know, took an axe to grind on the issue. (laughs) Then you get to the era of methadone and NIDA and Bobby DuPont and Richard Nixon, who was at that time president before he was not the president. And so there may that the recent, the modern, the chemistry related to perception, the interest in 
molecules that alter awareness. That certainly goes back to the 50s. Maybe a little before that, it's a little murky in World War II, it was a little murkier before that, but with some possible notable exceptions, I think it's fair to say that the modern seeds were sown in the 50s. They began to flower in the 60s. And a generation of young people who had certain experiences did not need a lot of scientific convincing. Yeah. Now, there's a shadow side to that, which I will mention in a minute, but I think it was President Obama who was on some interview show, and the question was, when he was a 20-something, did he inhale? Because yeah. Bill Clinton had said it, he didn't it, inhale. inhale. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the famous line. And President Obama equally famously said he thought the point was to inhale. Yeah. <laughs> why would you not? But, but, yes. Except, why would you or why would you not, assuming, because we're assuming now, we're assuming that this is nature's organic or biodynamic or healthy, not contaminated, not no pesticide residues, no mold growing, etc. In a completely unregulated market, I think the phrase is caveat Emptor. And for those of you who didn't study Latin, Latin yeah. it means let the buyer beware. So I, yeah. I, I have a 30-something-year-old son and roughly same age daughter. If they were talking with me right now, I would say be very careful. I would not say don't because yeah. I know my kids. If I tell them not, they're yeah, exactly. going to go do it. <laughs> so I might tell them do it so that they might not do it. Anyway, yeah. I'm not going to play that kind of head game not with my children and not with your audience. Yeah. We, I think it is very fair to say that Lester Grinspoon, that um, Misholem in Israel, mm -hmm. Russo, there are distinguished physician scientists who are in the area of what's called pharmacognosy and ethnobotany. Pharmacognosy mm -hmm. is the study of natural products and ethnobotany is the study of plants, mm -hmm. including plants that when you consume them, alter your consciousness. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I'm curious, how important is the endocannabinoid system, right? Like we, we've known, you know, we know about the nervous system, the digestive system. Like we've got these fairly developed models of different parts of our anatomy and, you know, that we've researched for many years and we know a lot about and there's been a lot of, you know, studies around, you know, but it just feels like the endocannabinoid system is one that, you know, we, we is a little mysterious, you know, in part. Well, let me demystify. Let me demystify. Yeah. Yeah. When we talk about the brain or the central nervous system, that is an interesting nerve-rich plexus. It's got billions, maybe trillions of connections. It's contained inside your skull. It's what we call the CNS, central nervous system. You can also call it the brain. Mm -hmm. It's got big parts and little parts, and then you get down to the tiny, tiny, tiny level of the membrane wrapper around those trillions of connecting cells. That's where the receptors are. They're everywhere. They're the most common receptor in the brain. They're the most common receptor in the gut nervous system because there's a parallel nervous system with all the neurochemical, all the hormonal, all the immune defense and repair components in the gut. And the way in which the gut nervous system and the central nervous system communicate is through the vagus nerve or the mm -hmm. vagus nerve highway. But the receptors are on every cell and, the, and there's lots of receptors on cells. I once quantitated the number of receptors for collagen on platelet cells. <laughs> so there's lots of receptors, and they play important functional roles. 
And in regard to nerves and biologically active cells, the cannabinoid receptors are the most prominent, the most common. If you counted all the receptors, the largest population would be endocannabinoid receptors. And what is their function? I mean, what, what are they are they regulating? or what's Their function is to let you know whether you are in a, um, a world that is friendly or a world that is capricious. If your endocannabinoid receptors are unsaturated, you are pretty doubtful about whether this world is friendly. Yeah. If your endocannabinoid receptors are about half saturated, you're pretty confident this world is a friendly place. Yeah. That makes you more optimistic. That makes you more grateful. That improves your restorative sleep. That improves your digestion. That improves your relationships. That improves everything. Yeah. And the body self-regulates this through an internal system of, of controls. And I guess how, how is well, it regulated? The, what, body, the body does. Yes, there is, a, there is a self-regulation process. The technical term is called homeostasis. That mm -hmm. was coined in the early... 19th century. It means self-regulation. If you get pushed off of balance, you should be able to bring yourself back into balance easily and actually effortlessly. So we have what, what, what I would call first-line adaptive mechanisms, bring yourself back with the first line, and then you have reserves. And if you're in elective protective mode, then you have lots of resilience and reserves. You have fortitude to go through the challenges of life mm -hmm. rather than be crushed or in despair about curl up in the corner and yeah the challenges of life because we all get challenges so the cannabinoid receptors have a lot to do with with your underlying set point in terms of rhythms of life which has to do with sleep and digestion it has to do with mood and perception it has to do with concentration and and uh, empathy it has to do with a whole lot of things it's very fundamental we're going to take a quick break to hear some words from our sponsors. And now back to our program. And in the whole phytocannabinoids, I mean, the, the fact that we can get these, these cannabinoids from plants, is this, are, are there many sources of this? Is cannabis really the only one that produces it? Or is this, do we... Oh, no, no, no. There, no, no. In regard to cannabinoids, or should I better say yeah. cannabinoids, terpenes, and flavonoids, you start with a plant of which there are broadly two categories. One bred for rope called hemp. These plants were specifically bred mm -hmm. to be CBD rich and THC poor. And then you have places that grew the plant for the flower to be smoked or concentrated. And there they wanted as little CBD as mm -hmm. possible and as much THC. In regard to the self-regulation or the homeostasis piece, I think with regard to things and I would put broad categories now like alcohol, marijuana, tobacco, your first experience might be a little bit too much, and then you learn that's probably too much, and almost everybody figures out, for example, if they drink too much and they wake up in the morning <laughs> after throwing up with a hangover, that maybe that isn't exactly the goal yeah, of <laughs> having an adult beverage. No, I didn't say that we had all outgrown what are called our nafs. Naf is an interesting term. It's an Arabic term. It, it basically says we have little pulls towards what I would call the afflictive. And by mm -hmm. now the afflictive here is a Buddhist term. But what I mean by those two terms is 
every once in a while, people want to go out and have an ice cream sundae with a little cherry on the top. And if they were talking to me, I would tell them to relish it, do it rarely, enjoy every minute of it. It's, it is what it is. It's an ice cream sundae. Let it be what it is. Okay. Now, at the time when outdoor grown and always organic was the rule, people like me had fewer cautions. Today, I have lots of cautions because there are lots of ways of contaminating the growing process, the curing process, the transport process, the consumer use process. And most of the time, the nice people who are in that sequence don't know. What yeah. are you going to make them into ethnobotanists and psychopharmacologists or, or uh, pharmacognosists? Please. Not going to happen. So the short answer is if you can get, <laughs> I'm going to be a little cute here. If you can get what Willie Nelson put his name on, because there is a brand that claims to be biodynamic, outdoor grown from Mendocino County, if you can get what I would call the mm -hmm. traditional medicinal plant, and if you have someone who can teach you how to use it judiciously, cautiously, you know, like less is more, a little is good, too much is too much. Yeah. It's the same thing with alcohol. It's the same thing with any, any substance. You know, it, this is a classic line, but it's a truth of pharmacology. The dose makes the effect. Too much is poisonous. Too little has no effect. Just right is just right. What is just right? Well, yeah. I don't know you yeah. well enough. Right. So it is a matter of knowing yourself and using these, what I would call, traditional natural medicinals with some prudence, with some wisdom, maybe even with some guidance, so that you can get benefit without without harm. You know, I could go through if you want, because we, we only have a few minutes left, but uh, the number of contaminants and the long-term harm of those products, of those chemicals, if you knew enough, if you knew as much as I knew, yeah. you'd be really, really cautious. So let me just say, be really, really cautious, says Uncle Russ. Yeah, yeah. Let me ask this because I'm I'm curious where where we're going, you know, in terms of understanding, you know, the the endocannabinoid system, the the plant products, and what we can do with it, what we can't do with it. I mean, what what's on your list of things you'd like to know or research that you'd like to have done, you know, in terms of it really kind of helping the industry, helping people understand how to use, how to benefit from cannabis. What's what's the unknown that you would like to see? more information developed around? Well, let me start with um, just, a, just a starting point, which is known as clintrials.gov. So if anyone wants to know about any of the clinical trials, phase one, phase two, phase three, there's only three phases, that are underway, yes, that are underway. They may or may not have recruited their subjects. Yeah. They may be far along. They may not be far along. They may be in phase three, because there are trials in phase three. In regard to cannabinoids, you can find these, the ones that are looking for drug approval, you can find on clintrials.gov. What is it that a person like me, you know, a doctor, scientist, father would like to know, I would like to know what is the safer way for people to tighter to determine what is right for them. Because I really do think it's quite individual. I'll give you a little example. Rebecca, the mother of my dear children, has something called alcohol dehydrogenase deficiency. And so does my dear friend Amory Levins. And both of them would be, if they were on this line, they would both say to you, they have no idea why anyone ever drinks alcohol yeah. because even a sip or two. And because of this genetic enzyme defect, they get the hangover yeah. before they get the benefit. 
So as Rebecca says, she has smelled a lot of good wine because I drink wine. Mm -hmm. I drink wine on Friday night. I wanted my children to not feel that it was a forbidden fruit, but I also wanted them to know that a little bit was really a gift of the gods, and too much would really make you feel worse. So what do I want to know? I would like to have people like Donald Abrams better funded to do community-based outcome studies showing the synergy between native cannabinoids, and by that I mean the non-decarboxylated source of the cannabinoids with the mm -hmm. terpenes with the trichromes in regard to things like post-traumatic stress yeah. disorder, PTSD. Yeah. The anecdotes are very strong. The research funding isn't quite there yet, but this administration, Biden administration, just specifically allocated in the $50 billion that they allocated over five years. I think that's right. No, no, 250 over five years, 50 billion to science in the next year, they have specifically a line item to expand the production of quality cannabinoid plants, marijuana plants, so that researchers can get access to defined, you know, seed to product known, defined, tested, assayed by NIST, the National Institute of Science and Technology that does have an ethnobotanical group mm -hmm. interested in this subject. I'd like to see it all brought together. I'd like to see well-funded, large enough studies that it would be game-changer time because too many people become dependent on opioids. Too many people become helpless and hopeless. Too many people are stuck in post-traumatic stress of one sort or another. Too many people have a problem with their self-confidence, self-esteem that ends up becoming self-reinforcing by, by choosing what I would call negative rather than positive cycles. And we want them to change what they eat, drink, think, and do. And from what I have learned from Donald Abrams, from what I have learned from others who have researched this in the field, you would save so much money, you would save so much precious resource on the overburdened, symptom-driven mm -hmm. system today, especially in regard to addiction and addictive personalities and behaviors and all of that. But the other side, all the people who have come back from serving in one way or another with post-traumatic stress. Yeah. Now, I would like these people to be out in the wilderness. I would like them to be eating biodynamic or whole foods that they help to, to, uh, to forage for or that they help to uh, cook and eat together and sing. And yeah. There's a whole reweaving of life. It's not as simple as smoke a joint yeah. and, and the world will be a happy place. But I do believe that cannabinoids, as traditional medicinals, I do believe that cannabinoids, if, for example, tobacco and alcohol are regulated and taxed but you know, generally open above a certain age, I'm pretty sure we'll get to, very soon we will get to the same place with yeah. regard to cannabinoids. And I am concerned because a lot of the indoor grows are fertilized and, and harvested and uh, the plants are prepared and, and transported in ways that add contaminants rather than preserve integrity. And how much, um, I mean, I'm curious how you see kind of the system playing out because, I mean, obviously there's, you know, there's a lot of industry right now around the opioids and, and some of these other medicines and pharmaceutical industry. Are there pressures here? Are there, is there a solution to kind of make this stuff work? I mean, how do you, how do you see this playing out from an industry point of view? Gosh, I, um, from an industry point of view, I can tell you that companies that you might know the names of, Pfizer, Novartis, AstraZeneca, um, and on and on, they all have 
research into cannabinoids as potential medicines. Their approach, though, is usually to isolate a specific component, whereas what you've heard me say all along is that I think nature nurtures and wholeness rewards. So to be specific, you can, with a technique called supercritical fluid CO2, which I've been using for decades. But anyway, with CO2 extraction, you compress carbon dioxide to the point where it becomes a, a solvent, and now you can get 100% CBD. Yep. You can get 100% THC. <laughs> you won't have many reorders. Yeah. You won't have many reorders. Be you won't, for the simple reason, there's a entourage effect and there's a what I would call a trichrome effect. The, the whole trichrome includes these interesting terpenes and these interesting flavonoids and they're in a certain geometry, they're in a certain relationship, they're meant to be together. Why? Well, let's do some more research to find out why they're meant to be together. But for the last several thousand years, it's been clear that they work well together. And when you start isolating them, uh, you're a chemist, which is fine, but you won't get a better outcome. In fact, you'll have a less yeah, yeah. desirable outcome. And um, uh, how, I mean, I guess, what are the things that really need to happen to make this, to get this research going and, and you know, help, help us understand? Is this, is this just money? Is this structure? Oh, well, let me, let, yeah, no, let me address that directly because I, you know, I've been on all sides of the research um, equation, if you will. What we need now is a few young, wealthy, and I don't care whether you recently got wealthy or you have a trust fund, but young, wealthy people to bring together a knowledge network, including Donald Abrams and the people we've just been talking about. I'm maybe a little too busy, maybe not. If they wanted to include me, I wouldn't, I wouldn't push away. However, it is really important to understand the difference between pharmacognosy and pharmacology. Pharmacology is about dose response and one, one drug for a specific effect at a specific dose or dose range, usually pretty narrow dose range. And what we're talking about here is almost diametrically opposed. It's what's called pharmacognosy, which is natural products. University of Illinois has a outstanding program in pharmacognosy. There are traditional herbalists from David Winston to Paul Stamets, uh, yeah. Mr. Mushroom, who are in the process of unwrapping, unpacking, preparing for the scientists so that the studies can be well conceived and executed, that the funding, which, by the way, will, in my opinion, come from the private sector first, followed by a few foundations funded by the same private sector people usually, and then the government will come in. I promise you from years in government service and from decades since, as someone who developed the most accurate delayed allergy test in the world and has systems to restore through lifestyle programs, tolerance and homeostasis, I can tell you for sure that the notion of isolating and purifying and then derivatizing and making patented and, and unique is going not to work well. In contrast, if, if you said that if you have a distinctive breed of plant in some way, and you'd be surprised how many distinctive breeds there are out there, or maybe you wouldn't be surprised, but there are many distinctive breeds out there. You might well be able, with the new patent conventions, to get the best of both. You might use nature, nurture, and wholeness and still have a proprietary position in the marketplace. As that comes together, 
one headwind, one resistance point will stop. The other big one is simple and financial. Right now in Canada, you can clear a transaction pretty easily in a dispensary that is licensed and taxed. In America, in the states where there are licensed and taxed dispensaries, they might have an ATM machine, but they probably won't take your credit card. Well, that's an issue. There are people literally standing on the border from Canada, looking at America, waiting for that issue to be resolved at a regional or state or national level, because it is interstate mostly, and that means national, where there's a logjam, and there has been for a long time. And that logjam is not going to break tomorrow, but it will break as soon as there is private support from wealthy individuals and the foundations that they support to do quality studies, starting with quality people who mm-hmm. exist, some of whose names I've mentioned and from whom I learned. Dr. Jeffrey, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, about the work that you do, what's the best way to get that information? Good place to start. DrRussellJaffe.com. That's D-R-R-U-S-S-E-L-L-J-A-F-F-E, Dr. Russell Jaffe. Dot com. Great. Then a YouTube channel called DR space Russell space Jaffe. You have to put the DR in, otherwise you get a very <laughs> nice poet who's not me. But there's a YouTube channel with hundreds and hundreds of, of videos or podcasts on topics that people might be interested in to get our perspective on how to be healthy in the 21st century, yeah, which yeah. in itself is quite a challenge. I'll make sure that the links are in the show notes so people can click through and get that information. Dr. Jeffy, thank you so much for taking the time today. It's been a pleasure. Enjoyed it. Thanks so much. Take care. That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.